Daniel 7, verses 1 to 28. In the first year of Balthazar's king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, in that it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the ones, like the, <laughs> this horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful wor words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority and were lowered to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all people, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretations of all these things. The four beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws 
The beast had crushed and devoured its victims, trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before, which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth, and it will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from, the, from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Ten days ago, May the 8th, marked 78 years since the end of the Second World War in Europe. VE Day, uh, Victory in Europe Day. But we all know, of course, that war in the east of Europe is still a harsh reality, and a sub substantial portion of our globe is still engulfed in some form of conflict as we sit here tonight. Uh, look at this map. This is called a conflict map. Um, I don't know if it's very clear to you, but it really shows the countries uh, in which there are some kind of armed clashes going on. Um, 78 years since the Second World War, the world is not a safer place. If we dare to look outside of our bubbles of safety, the world can be a very scary place for many people living in many parts of our globe. And this is true for Christians around the world as well. I want to show you another map. This map uh, shows you where Christians are being persecuted today. Um, it can be confusing. That red dot on South Africa is not saying that South Africa is a place where Christians get. Uh, but the, the red shows extreme persecution. The orange shows very high persecution. And there are 76 countries in the world today where you wouldn't want to be a Christian. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be if you were a Christian. Uh, they are record, the, the world watch list, as it's called, records levels of persecution and discrimination against Christians. Against how many Christians? 360 million Christians live under the threat of persecution in the world today, a rise of 20 million from last year. It's on the increase. It's not on the decrease. One in seven Christians worldwide. The country where, which is the worst place for a Christian is Afghanistan after the Taliban took over. In second place is North Korea. 
I want you to see a few things with me from this great chapter which will encourage us as we come up for reality from our bubble of safety to see the world as it really is. And the first thing I want you to notice from this passage is the world that we live in. It's a description of the world that we live in. And what this chapter does is it, is it takes us, it shows us earth, and then it takes us into heaven, and then it shows us earth again, and then it takes us back into heaven. And so it's toggling all the time between earth and heaven, between what we see with our eyes and what we don't see, but we need it to be told to us in order to know it. Um, if you thought that the way the world is going is towards safety and more stability, then you are ignoring the evidence to the contrary. The world is, since the Second World War, of course, a much more sophisticated place than the one that our great-grandparents inhabited, but it is not a safer place. And Daniel 7 is the very realistic account of what takes place in this world. It's the account of a remarkable dream that God gives to Daniel. Remember, if you know anything about Daniel, you'll know that people came to Daniel with their dreams to have them interpreted. Kings like Nebuchadnezzar would ask Daniel to interpret their dreams for them. And now God gives Daniel, the prophet, his own dream. And the literature that we are dealing with in Daniel chapter 7 is called dream literature or apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Uh, it's different to the other literature that you might be more familiar with. One of the keys to understanding dream literature in the Bible is to realize that it is picture language. We're meant to look at the big picture that is being sketched with words. We're not meant to focus in on every single detail of the pictures that are given. What's important really is the scene that is being set or the mood that is being created by those details. I guess it's the Bible's equivalent of a graphic novel. And there are other books in the Bible that fall into this category of literature as well, uh, most famous of which is the book of Revelation. And we get the setting in the first verse. We're in the days of King Belshazzar, verse 1 says. Uh, king Belshazzar is famous because he is the king that saw the hand writing graffiti on the wall. Do you remember that story? It's in Daniel chapter 5 if you want to go and read it. And scene, verse 2 shows us the great sea. Try and imagine it in your mind. It's a great, raging, roaring, violent, frightening ocean stirred by the four winds blowing in all directions. Have you got it in your mind? You can see it out deep sea. In the ancient world, the sea, I'm sure many of you know, is a symbol of the forces of chaos and evil and destruction. It's a picture of instability and unpredictability, the forces of chaos. The sea is a symbol of of all that stands in opposition to the good order of God. God is the one who orders chaos. And so chaos is the opposite of what God does in the world. And so when his dream begins with the sea, it's an ominous scene. And the original audience who were listening to this would have felt a chill up their spine as they read those verses. And in verse 3, the sea produces four great beasts arising from the forces of chaos and rebellion. Look at these beasts. They are absolutely terrifying. In verse 4, there is one that is like a lion. 
Uh, one um, dictionary of the Bible says, in Hebrew thought, a lion was, listening, malicious in action, premeditated in harm, ruthlessly efficient in killing. The lion metaphorically embodies evil. The next beast is like a bear. The bear inflicts most of its damage with its claws. With its reputation for heavy-handedness, the bear personifies a wicked ruler over a poor people, says one writer. It's a devourer with ribs between its teeth. Did you remember that? You see the picture in your mind's eye, a savage beast. And then in verse 6, there is a leopard, a beast that is like a leopard with wings. Unlike the lion, the leopard seldom betrays its location by making a noise. It's very stealthy and therefore more sinister, lurking, an unseen danger which attacks suddenly without warning. And then in verse 7, there is a fourth beast, which is the worst of all. It's unlike anything we know in the animal kingdom. It's got ten horns. Maybe you can think of a dragon or a dinosaur, but nothing that we can see in a game park. The horns seem to have a life of their own, and one of them, grotesquely in verse 8, morphs and changes into a speaking, seeing thing. I mean, this is terrifying. This is beyond J.K. Rowling. Now, what is this all about? Why is God showing this to, to Daniel? And you get this lovely understatement in verse 15, which proves that Daniel must have been an Englishman. Daniel was troubled in spirit, and the visions passed through my mind. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. What an understatement. I was terrified. And uh, he gets the interpretation Look at verse 16, I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all of this, so he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. That's the interpretation. Here are four kings represented by the four beasts. Now, those of you who have studied history uh, at university, you will know that history at university is taught as man's progress and achievement over the passing of time. That's one way to, to look at history. The story of the human race can be traced as the progress of technology and humanity. But in Daniel's dream, you can see another approach to understanding history, another perspective. Human history is dominated by a succession of evil forces, human powers that have an ugly and a frightening side to them, powers that arise out of rebellion against God, their creator and ruler. If you are reasonably comfortable and safe and well off, it's easy to think that this is not the case in our world today. When you live in a place like we do that is reasonably secure, we can become blind to the harshness and to the ugliness of human power and rule in this broken world. As we look at Daniel's dream, we should realize that this is what human power looks like. In this world, the fundamental character of human power is harsh and frightening and unpredictable. Power that is grasped by humans and independent of God is a frightening thing. And our brothers and sisters living in Afghanistan and North Korea know what I'm talking about. The greater the power becomes, the less the reference to God, the worse the rule. 
Now, there's no point in trying to work out who these four kings were in history. Many people have written books trying to show that this was that and that was that. It's a picture of what human power in history is like. It's missing the point to try and work out which nation is being talked about. You can look at the beasts and see Kim Jong-un, or you can see Putin, or you can see Biden. Doesn't matter. Take your pick. Human power, however expressed in the world, is like beasts rising from the sea, terrifying and ugly and brutal and malicious. But no sooner do we see those four beasts than we are taken, we're transported by Daniel from the earth up into the heavenlies. And so secondly, another world. In verse 9, the scene changes and Daniel is shown another reality. This is what the apocalyptic literature does. The apocalyptic apocalyptic literature, the dream literature of the Bible, it takes the curtain back and it shows you reality which you wouldn't see if you were only using your eyes. It's going to be revealed to us. It's a reality that is not accepted or believed by our world. It's a reality that we often forget as Christians, even though we are Bible believers, as we go through the humdrum of life, the hustle and bustle of life, as you face your exams and your assessments and your assignments and your pressures at work or at home, we often forget this perspective. See, the human powers that dominate the pages of history are not the only powers. And the human thrones of human kings are not the only thrones. In his vision, as the curtain is held back, Daniel is shown one who takes his seat on another throne. He is called the Ancient of Days. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the great judge and king, who is marked, did you notice, as Alan A. read for us, by the whiteness of purity, and he exists in the fire of holiness. He sits on a throne, verse 10 tells us, consisting of fiery flames, and the books are opened. What are you seeing? You're seeing Judgment Day. Here is the great judge of all the earth, who is seated as the judge on his great throne with the books opened. The court is seated. Here is the future. Here is the future fact. Oh, it's revealed in a dream, but make no mistake, this is a future reality. It puts all of human history into perspective when you, account, when you take this into account in your life. Gary's portrayed the event that gives final meaning to human history, Judgment Day. In fact, it gives final meaning to your life and to mine. For God has fixed a day on which he will judge the whole world. As God gives Daniel this dream, God, can you see the question that is being asked here? Who really is in charge of the world? Is it the four terrifying, grotesque beasts? Is it human power, chaotic and unpredictable and evil? And God wants us to know tonight that he is in control. He is on the throne. He is over all of history. There is a God who reigns and who will call all of his creation to account. And if there is a God who is like that, then we cannot go on living in this world as though that is not true. Verse 11, the horn, the great epitome of arrogant human power, 
is destroyed, even the most fearful forms of human power will be overthrown by God's judgment. He's seen this terrifying beast, but in the end, who rules? It is God, the great ancient of days. And in verse 12, the dominion of the kings comes to an end. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. Friends, do you realize that all human achievement will one day give way to the rule of God? All kingdoms, all powers, all dominions, all authorities will be crushed under God's great kingdom. All human institutions, all of human history will be overthrown. And as we live in this world and aspire to greatness, Will we take seriously that God will rule in the end and that his rule will be evident to all? Will you allow that great fact, that future fact, to determine how you live your life today? And in verse 13, you're wondering what on earth any of this has to do with Ascension Day. Well, look at verse 13. Here it is. In my vision at night I looked... Remember, he's looking from heaven's perspective. He's been transported in his mind to heaven. There before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. That's the ascension. That's heaven's perspective on Jesus' ascension. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Let's have the next verse. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations, Peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Do you see? He's not a beast. He's a man. Flesh and blood, like you and me. Who ascended on the clouds on that great day. The agent of God's rule comes with the clouds towards God. He is a son of man. He's a man. He's a God-man. For everybody turns to worship him. And God is happy for him to be worshipped, the son of man, and gives him all power and authority and gives him the kingdom. A human figure who comes to God and receives from God dominion and authority. See, the beasts will be overthrown. A human will receive from God dominion over all of creation. Look at this verse from Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus is a man at the right hand of the Father. And he will be the agent of judgment at the end of history. The beast will be overthrown. A human will judge and accomplish God's purposes. God's plan for the universe is to have a human at the steering wheel and at the right hand of God. Look at Daniel's other reaction at the end of chapter 7, verse 28. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. You know, Jesus' favorite title for himself in the Gospels was the Son of Man. For he is the one who fulfills Daniel's vision. All authority is given to me. Listen to Jesus in Mark 14 and verse 61. 
But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. So scandalized was he. For Jesus was obviously claiming to be the Daniel 7 son of man. The high priest tears his robes. He's offended by what Jesus has said. For Jesus is claiming to be the one to whom God has given all authority. That happened on the day that Jesus ascended to his throne. We think of an ascension, the ascension of Jesus really like space travel, don't we? He kind of jumped on a cloud and moved spatially somewhere. But that's not what is meant by the word ascension. You can ascend to a throne, as we, those of you who are royalists saw a couple of Saturdays ago. You can ascend to the throne. You're not changing your geography. You're changing your relationship with the place that you are in. Suddenly, everybody is your subject. That's what happened at the ascension with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you begin to see it, if you will believe Daniel chapter 7 tonight, it'll change your life. Because you will realize that there is a man, flesh and blood and bone, at the right hand of God, in the cockpit of the universe, with his hand on the steering wheel, who knows exactly what's going on in the world, and who will prevail over the kingdoms and the authority and the brutality of man. Do you believe that? He's working towards that. It's already begun. God has given him all dominion, glory, and power. This is reality, dear friends. You can't see it if you just use your eyes. It needs to be revealed to us by the curtain being pulled back. But this is what is going on in the universe. He is at the right hand of God, the world's true judge. Do you know, wonderfully, not only will Jesus be the world's true judge... But Jesus is also your advocate. He is both judge and advocate. And so look at this great verse from Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us as our great counselor and advocate. Those who are in Christ Jesus have nothing to fear on Judgment Day, for the judge will be your advocate. One last thing I want to show you. There's more, as they say in the adverts. Daniel's dream is a picture of the rule of the earth passing from the beasts to the Son of Man. But did you notice, look at verse 18, what is said there. Sorry. The holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Is that not an extraordinary verse? Did you notice that when it was being read? Not only will the Son of Man inherit the kingdoms of the earth and rule over them, but so will Christians. What will you do in heaven one day? We spoke about this last week. It's not an eternal church service, you'll be glad to know. We will be ruling over the earth with our Savior 
with our ambassador, with our Lord. Uh, he goes on, look at verse 19. I, I want you to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different uh, from all of the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also want you to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth and that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people, that is Christians, and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Can you imagine the moment, brothers and sisters, when Kim Jong-un bows to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the very Christians that he has been murdering and persecuting? What vindication that is going to be. What a day to look forward to. And so Daniel's dream is a remarkable dream. It is about the ascension of Christ to the right hand of the Father, to judge and to rule and to govern. But what an encouragement to us. What animal would you choose to describe the people of God, I wonder? Would we be a bear or a lion or a leopard? I don't think so. Certainly not in 76 countries around the world today. Probably a cockroach, maybe, to be exterminated. Christians are very unimpressive people, very unpowerful people. But verse 18 sees the saints as the group that will rule over all of God's creation. Not the beasts out of the sea ruling, but God's people. Small, humble, unpowerful, weak, opposed, persecuted, hated. We will be the rulers with Jesus. The ascension of Jesus shows that God has passed judgment on the beasts. Jesus is the human on the throne in heaven. God has given him all authority to clean up the mess, and he chooses to share that authority and that rule with you and with me one day. Let me ask you, have you bowed your knee to the true ruler of the universe? And what is stopping you from doing it? Are you dazzled by the authorities of this world, the influences, the peer pressure, the sparklies, are you impressed by those things? It's only a matter of timing before they are shown for what they are. Nothing. Dust. They'll be swept away at the end of history. Which kingdom will you live for? Which king will you answer to? Let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment to quietly reflect on what you've heard tonight and to say whatever is necessary for you to say to Jesus in the privacy of your own heart and mind.
Father, what an extraordinary vision. Thank you for recording it for us in the Word, for preserving Daniel chapter 7. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be intimidated by this world with all of its display of power and importance, that we will remember who our true King is and that he is on the throne today and that it's only a matter of timing before the whole world sees that and bows before him. And we pray for those who might be in the room tonight who have not yet bowed to the real king, that you would be merciful to them and change them even tonight. And we pray this for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen. Let's stand and end our time together by singing.